And my friends, I'm, a, I'm excited because I, I wrote a book. And this is, um, this is a desire that I have to introduce as many people as possible to this Jesus that we love so much. And last seven years here has really brought even a greater passion for Jesus coming to New Bedford and planting this church. And in seeing that so many people, I believe, would want to know this Jesus if we can untangle some things out of the way. We live in a very religious region. And unfortunately, most people have met religion, but they haven't really met Jesus. And so this book is a small attempt to help more people connect with this Jesus. Here's what I would love for it to happen. I would love for you, first you in the house and online, to read this book. Because I think that all of us could get a fresh perspective on this Jesus. Our greatest, let me tell you something. Our greatest enemy is not the devil. I don't believe the devil is my greatest enemy. My greatest enemy is familiarity. Is when I've become too familiar. Jesus said he couldn't do miracles in his hometown because people were too familiar. They couldn't understand who was in their midst. And I think sometimes we don't understand what we have already. You know, and I really hope and pray that you don't just miss this and say, oh, this is just for new people. The greatest compliment that I've gotten is from people who have been a pastor, a friend of mine who's been a pastor for 30 years said, man, anyone, everybody needs to read this book because everybody needs a fresh look at Jesus. So I hope and pray that it starts with us and then... I hope and pray that you can take one and give it to an unchurched friend. Because to know Jesus just for me is religion. When I know Jesus, I want others to experience him. I want others to know him. I want others to have what I have in him. And so I really believe this is a great tool to get conversations going. You know, I really believe that a lot of times people have asked me, you know, I want to share Jesus. I just don't know what to say. Well, I'm giving you a tool. I'm giving you something that you can give to a friend and say, hey, read this, and we can get together and have coffee and talk about it. I'm telling you, I, I, I envision this being a conversation started with your coworkers, with your neighbors, going out for coffee. I envision you taking this to your crew and having a conversation about it. I really believe that this is going to be a great tool to help way more people get to know Jesus because we know that religion is not enough. We need to have an encounter, a real encounter with the real Jesus. We're saved our lives. So when we sing Reckless God, it really, it really hits home. Right? Because it's one thing to, to sing it. It's one thing to know, like, man, that is me. I'm part of that love. I'm part of that people that he has reached and he has blessed and he has changed, has transformed, and he still is. I've been a Christian for 22 years. I am still feeling like, man, I got to know more about Jesus. I need to know everything about him. I need to be more in tune with him. I want to get closer to him. I want to reflect him. I want to go home empty. I want to know that I did everything I can to lead as many people to Jesus as possible. And I believe every believer should have that passion, that drive, that desire to see more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So I really pray that, that, that you would take this challenge, you know, because I don't know what else is there in life to lead people to. More and more, I don't know about you, but my conviction has been more and more strong that I need to be in tune with Jesus. The world makes no sense anymore. Like, it just makes no sense. There's just nothing out there. And then, and then the worst is when I see believers fighting over theology, fighting about who's right, who's more theological, who's woke, and we got a, a world going to hell. And here we are fighting over who is more woke, who is more right, who is more theological. My friends, what if we took all that energy and said, let's help the world know Jesus. I, I think this world will be a better place. And I believe Jesus left us here to try to make the world a better place. Can you say amen? So today, my friends, we're going to continue this, this talk about you have an assignment we started that two weeks ago, and the goal is to really unpack what it does it mean to be called by God and have a deeper understanding and a different perspective of this calling. And last week, Pastor Stretch talked to you about the fact that you're called to community, right? Because we can't do this alone, right? We need a crew to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. And today I want to talk to you, if you're taking notes... And, and, and if you want to take notes, you can open 
uh, church app, and there's a note area there for you. But I want to talk to you about your greatest calling in life because out of this calling comes everything else, right? Your call to Jesus before your call to anything else. Anything that you're going to do comes out of the fact that you're called to Jesus first. And what is the first thing that Jesus does when he begins his ministry? He starts a crew. That's literally the first order of business in Jesus' ministry was, I need a crew around me so we can go do life together, so we can see the will of God being done. So I want to talk to you about being called to Jesus. Does anybody have a birthday today? Is anybody's birthday today? Don't lie, you're in church. <laughs> Does anybody have a birthday this week? You have a birthday this week? Anyone? I see, I see a couple of hands. Do me a favor. Can you take this to this woman over there? She has got a birthday today. Uh, Randy, can you? Happy birthday to you. Your birthday and Jesus goes really good together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. Matthew 4, verse 18. We're going to go back to Jesus calling his first students or disciples to follow him. And we're going to go back to go forward. Okay? Matthew 4, 18 says, One day... As Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. In other words, they were fishermen. They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So three things we're going to unpack today. If you're taking notes, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Can you say amen? So again, come, follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Now, let's begin with a little context here. In the first century, the Jewish people were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire would conquer different people, and they would allow you to continue your way of life as long as you're paying your taxes and you're obeying what they call the Pax Romana, which is the peace of the Rome which is through violence, like we'll give you peace, but, but you better keep yourself together. And so God's people were basically constrained to a certain area, and there's only a few things that they can do. And so to make a living, most of them would follow in the footsteps of their parents. So whatever your parents did, you take up that trade and you continue the family business. Usually, by the age of 10, you begin an apprenticeship with your parents. You begin to learn the trade. If it's fishing, you learn to fish. If it's farming, you learn to farm. Whatever it is that your family does for a living, that's what you do. We know that Jesus was a carpenter, and the word actually carpenter in the original is tecton, which means that he worked as a stonemason. It was that kind of carpentry that he did because it was it's part of his family legacy, and so Jesus worked with his hands, which I want to get to next week. We're called to work. You know, we're called to Jesus. We're called to work as well, and, and work is a good thing, can we say amen? <laughs> Just want to make sure. <laughs> work is good. And so you begin to learn the family business, and the way they would go to school basically was in the synagogue. They would learn the Bible, the Torah. That, that was the education that they would receive, right? And they, they would know everything about the Old Testament, basically. But if you were really, really smart, if you were wicked smart, <laughs> you had the option of continuing your education with the local 
rabbis, the teachers, right? But here's the catch. The catch is, in order to follow a rabbi, you would have to pass the test. You know, if you were really, really smart, a rabbi would ask you some questions to see if you would qualify to follow him. And here's the catch. Here's why. We're going somewhere here. A rabbi only chooses the students that he believes can do what he does. Okay? The rabbi would then grill the students, would ask a bunch of questions to see, do you really have what it takes to follow me to do what I do? But only the smartest of the smart. Basically, these are the kids that were qualified to go to Harvard, if we were to translate that in today's terms. Right? Only those would qualify to follow specific rabbis. And there were many rabbis, many teachers that would be in the area looking for potential students that could do this. Are you tracking with me so far? Right? And so this is the context that we find ourselves in when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins his ministry and he begins to look for students that would follow him. Now, right away here, this is where we need to begin to untangle Jesus from religion, is the fact that majority of the rabbis would wait for the students to come to them and ask, can I follow you? Jesus flipped the scripts and goes to the people that he wants to follow him. Are you tracking? This was not me going to a rabbi. This is a rabbi coming to me. Now, here's the catch. When he gets to these students, what are they doing? Like, this is a question that I'm asking out loud. What, are they, what, what does Jesus find these people doing? Fishing. They're fishing. So, so track with me. If they're fishing means that they're not following a rabbi because they're not the best of the best. They're learning the family business. Are you tracking? Right? So Jesus comes on the scenes and he goes after these kids. And I say kids because Jesus was 30 years old and majority of his disciples were either teenagers or in their 20s. Which, by the way, those Hollywood movies jack this stuff up. <laughs> you ever watch the Hollywood movies? Everybody looks older than Jesus. They all look like they're about 50 or 40. <laughs> right? And they're all white. Breaking news, America. There are no white people in the Bible. All brown people. <laughs> Including Jesus. Because <laughs> we're taking the Bible and made it American. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other story right there. Oh, man, that cracks me up. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> so they are young, but they're working already, which means they're not the best of the best. But Jesus comes and says, follow me. And remember, a rabbi only picks students that he believes could be like him. Now, a little bit about these first students. Because you, I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible you, and, you, and you read, they left their nets at once and follow him, that sounds a little bit weird to me. It's like, yo, wait, you're working and someone comes and says, follow me. You're like, okay. <laughs> Again, those movies don't help. There's like, those like really weird soap operas. And they talk like robots. No, the truth is, they would have known about Jesus. We talked about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. So they would have been heard Jesus preach already. They've heard about Jesus talking about the kingdom. They were expectations of the Messiah coming already. So when someone who has been preaching about the kingdom of God comes around and says, follow me, they're saying, hey, I believe you can do what I can do. And if someone really believes in you, you don't want to be stagnant in what you're doing. You want to pursue the calling to see what else is there for me. I want to be able to fulfill everything that is in me to fulfill. So Jesus, this is my message up this morning. We always talk about God and how we need to believe in God. But here Jesus is saying, I believe in you too. Because a rabbi never picks a student he doesn't believe. 
can do what he does. Are you following? Now, a little bit about these guys. They're not the best of the best. We established that. Most of them were fishermen. Right? We, we know a couple of them, uh, their education and what they did. Right? But majority of them were fishermen, which, by the way, in that time period, a fisherman was just an average job. It didn't take much because you just go and buy what your family did. That's what you did to earn a living. We know that this guy who wrote this particular book, one of the first original disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector. And we know by history that tax collectors in that time period were one of the most despised people because they worked for the Roman Empire. They worked for the enemy, and they were infamous for stealing by inflating taxes so they can make money. And so Matthew would be hated by some of these people that Jesus is asking to follow him. So right away, you, you can see the tension within this group of people that Jesus is asking to follow him. Right? Then you have another guy named Simon. Simon, the Bible tells you, he was a zealot. A zealot was a political party of Jesus' days. And the zealots believed that they needed to overcome their enemies by force, by violence. And so they would stage coups and they would stage uh, revolts because they want to overthrow the Romans. So in the middle of these 12, there's a zealot. Let me translate that today. That's like saying Jesus called an ISIS member to come follow him. He said, pray for your enemies. See how quiet we get? It gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? When was the last time you prayed for an ISIS member to follow Jesus? We say, bomb them! Again, American Jesus. Let's move on. There's another guy named Thomas. And we know Thomas gets to be known in history as Doubting Thomas. Because when Jesus came back from the dead, he refused to believe that Jesus really came back from the dead. And the disciples tried to pursue him to believe. He's like, no, no, I won't believe until I see it with my own eyes and touch his cars. And Jesus shows up and says, go ahead. And he touches Jesus' cars, and then he goes, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, well, you believe because you touched me, but blessed are those who have never seen me, but still believe. So in the middle of Jesus' original disciples, there's a doubter who was handpicked by Jesus to follow him. Are you tracking? Then there's a guy named Judas. We know that name. See how we all flinch when I say Judas? When was the last time you saw a kid named Judas? We got Matthew, we got Simon, we got Peter, we got John. What was the last time you were like, baby reveal, Judas? <laughs> we don't call kids Judas because we know what this Judas did. Like the stigma on a name because of what we know he did. But guess what? He was handpicked by Jesus. Blows my mind when I hear people talk about clearly about who, who's going to hell and who's going to heaven like they know. See how dumb these theological debates are? Jesus is making a point from the beginning. The people that he's picking to follow him. My friends, these are not first round picks. Like these are not, they're not on the draft board right now. Yo, we've been looking at this kid, Judas. <laughs> He's got a tendency for disloyalty. <laughs> he might stab you in the back, but you know, brother can play. <laughs> right? NFL teams are going crazy over figuring out, can we really trust this kid to come play for us? And here's Jesus going, hey, come play for me. Different, this Jesus. Didn't pick the best of the best. 
didn't go for the first round picks. Jesus is like the kid in the playground who picks all the wrong kids to play. And that's good news for some of y'all who always got picked last in the playground. You're like, thank God, finally! I think Jesus was making a point from the beginning about who he calls. And my friends, this is what the difference between religion and following Jesus is. Because religion always asks for a resume, a pedigree. You ever talk to people and they, they want to give you their religious resume? Oh, I know church. I was an altar boy. I was catechized, baptized, dunktized. <laughs> and they give you all their resume, but then you look at their lives, you're like, it doesn't look like you're following Jesus, though. But you have a pedigree, you have a degree. And sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is to go to seminary or cemetery and get a religious degree and lose the heart of Jesus in the process. And how do I know this? Because the very people that would argue with Jesus were the people who had seminary degrees. Works-oriented religion says, I earn my place. Works-oriented religion says, I deserved it because I'm a good person. I paid my dues. People sometimes fight in church. This is my seat. I've been here for 20 years. <laughs> Why are you sitting in my seat? It's my parking spot. I've been in meetings where board members were going to go, head up. <laughs> All in the name of Jesus. <laughs> uh, I don't think you guys are ready for this message today. amazing is Jesus goes on to continue to do this when he picks the next person to lead the gospel to the Gentiles he picked someone who was persecuting the very people that was following him he goes to Paul and says Paul why are you persecuting me he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because when someone comes against you, if you belong to Jesus, they come in against Jesus. And he takes this terrorist and turns him into the greatest apostle that ever lived. Not your first round pick. When Jesus was dying on the cross for the sins of the world, he dies between two thieves. One of them said, if you really are God's son, why don't you take yourself down from that cross and save us? The other one says, man, can't you see? You are in the presence of a holy man. Jesus, would you have mercy on me? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Now think about that from a religious standpoint. This is a thief dying for his sins, for what he committed against society. And Jesus says, today, I don't care. You recognize me or whose I am? I recognize you as my son. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That guy never had a chance to get down from that cross to get dunktized and baptized and catechized and speak in tongues. No, all he did was recognize that Jesus is God. Tell me, we've got to entangle religion from Jesus. Because we're getting it backwards. Takes these guys on the greatest journey of their lives. And this is the guys who would change the world as we know it today. These guys, these, these not so great picks would change the world forever. Why? Because they did those three things. Come, follow me. I'll teach you how to fish. Come, if you're taking notes is an invitation to a lifelong journey of pursuing Jesus. You don't come one time or two times. You continue to come and follow Jesus. When a rabbi says, come follow me, it was literally every day of the week, 24-7, 365 days. For three years, they were with Jesus every single day. And Jesus didn't just teach in synagogues like churches. Jesus would teach on the go. Majority of the times, 90% of Jesus' teachings happened on the go. 
When you begin to read Jesus' teachings, you realize, wow, what he was doing was he was basically taking everyday things that people would see and he would turn it into a message. Starting exactly where they are. It's like, hey, you fish? Let me teach you how to fish for people. Hey, you know, farming? Well, the word of God is like seeds. Like he used everyday relevant things. If Jesus was here today, he would use things like, hey, you know, that iPhone? Use it for God's glory. Like Jesus would take everyday elements and say, hey, let me show you how God is involved into all these things. It's a personal invitation to a lifelong journey with him, not a religious thing that you do once a week. No, it's a lifestyle of following, coming after Jesus. And notice this. I hope you go back and read the Gospels. He took them as they were. They didn't have a resume. They didn't have a pedigree. They didn't have anything to stand on. He took them as they were, and in the journey, they begin to transform. Religion says, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make things right, then God might help you. You know one of the most famous Bible verses that's not in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. <laughs> Takes them on the journey of transformation, of teaching them of molding them and shaping them. That's the difference. My friends, we have to entangle Jesus from religion. It's an invitation. There's a difference between a mass invitation and a personal invitation. There's nothing like a personal invitation. Someone sees you and says, hey, come. You ever receive one of those mass invitations? Like you ever, one of my nightmares is to get caught up in one of those group texts. You ever get caught up in a one? You're like, I want to get out. <laughs> I, I never invited myself into this. <laughs> you grouped me in. But there's something about someone taking the time to personally invite you to something. That's what Jesus does. It's a personal invitation. It's not just a mass invitation. Many are called, few are chosen. Where does that come from? Go read it. It comes from an invitation. He says, go out there and bring them in to this banquet that I'm about to have. And a lot of them had excuses for why they couldn't come. And he said, well, go back and find those who really want to come. Because many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, everybody's called, but no one's listening to the calling of Jesus in their lives. I love the way the psalmist puts this difference of invitation versus religion. In Psalms 40, this is message translation. I'm a big fan of message translation because it's, it's simple. It just opens things up. It says this, look, it says, doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. Keep going. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. This calling is to come to Jesus. It's not to come to a religion. It's not to come to a system. It's not even to come to a doctrine. It's to come to Jesus himself and to follow him where he's trying to lead us. He said, come to me. Notice, he never mentioned tradition. He never mentioned dogmas. He never mentioned church services. He never mentioned rules and regulations. He said, come follow me, because to follow a rabbi is to do what the rabbi does. That's the calling that Jesus is putting out to the world every single day. He says, how, watch how I do it. Like, I'm not here to do what religion does. You know what religion does? Hey, do as I say, but not as I do. Jesus is like, no. Not only do you get to hear me preach, you're going to get to see me embody what I'm preaching. Because it's about doing what I do. Matthew goes on to say it this way. Jesus t tells this message in Matthew 11. He says, look, this is against the, the, the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me 
and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. My goodness, what a beautiful invitation from Jesus himself. I love how he, it sounds like, it almost sounds like, you ever, you ever seen those infomercials, infomercials, like in the middle of the night? Are you tired, worn out, and you're like, yes. <laughs> you ever find yourself diagnosing yourself over a commercial? You're like, that's, I have that disease. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm worn out. I, I can't sleep. <laughs> and then you go to WebMD, it's the worst thing you can ever do. Google your symptoms, don't ever do it. Because you're dying. And all you had was a little cough. <laughs> Jesus, I love this because he knows the condition of the soul. He can see, man, you guys are doing a lot of religious things, but you have no joy, no peace, no grace, no love, no excitement. You're just going through the motions. Can we be honest that religion is just going through the motions just to appease a family member or God, but it's just to check the religious box. You know, I did it. I want to make sure that God is okay with me. But Jesus is like, that's not what it's about. Calling you to an invitation. This is exciting. I tell people all the time, like, if you come in here, you're not getting anything out of it, do yourself a huge favor. Go to IHOP. <laughs> like, for real. I believe in that. Like, I don't believe anyone should be forced to do this. I believe everybody should want to receive the invitation to Jesus. Because that is so much better. There's life in it. There's purpose in it. There's meaning in following Jesus. And knowing that, man, he believes that I can do what he can do. That's amazing to me. It's like, man, you believe in me so much that you went and died for me so I can do what you do. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of this thing. But of course, it's impossible to follow someone if you're not teachable. It's impossible to follow someone if you're not humble and teachable. Notice he said, Walk with me, walk with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or fitting on you. Another version says, I am humble, a heart. That's why a lot of people don't follow Jesus because they're too prideful to follow Jesus. People who don't learn anything in life are people who already know everything in life. The worst thing, and I think we can all be agree with this, is the people who know everything. There's nothing more irritating than someone, whatever you say, I know. Don't elbow anybody. Now some people are like, no matter what you say, they know everything. And when they don't know, they'll make it up. There's nothing more refreshing than to hear someone say, wow, I never thought about it like that before. Oh, wow, that, that's interesting. One of my pet peeves is assumptions. When people just assume. It's like, wow, why don't you ask instead of assuming? Because that's what humility does. It asks questions. Matter of fact, in life, the difference between someone, I hope you catch this, someone who is teachable, someone who's not teachable, is the amount of questions you ask. Go, go back to the gospel. Watch how many questions Jesus asks. Because in the question, there's a wrestling of trying to get to the bottom. No questions means I'm settled. I'm good. When I was a, I was a, I was a high school teacher and, and a college teacher for a little bit, and I still teach the kids all the time, if you have no questions, you're not alive. I'm more concerned with kids who never have questions because that means you're not wrestling with anything. You're either checked out or you know everything. And in church, man, that happens. You know how many ain't saints who know everything but know nothing? 
because they're not teachable. They're not humble enough. Like I said, some will take the book and dismiss it. Oh, that's just, that's, I know that already. Quiet in this Baptist church. <laughs> but there's a daily learning from Jesus. If I'm truly following him, I'm going to him to learn, to grow. But the reality is, my friends, there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost. You know those commercials that we just talked about? There's always the fine print. I just got hit with one of those. I saw something on TV in the middle of the night. I was like, I need that. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I'm hit with a bill that I was like, wait, wait, wait. You said shipping and handling. And my wife was cracking up. because She's like, there you go, buying those things. <laughs> she's laughing again. I was mad. I was like, I didn't see that. So I called the company. They're like, sir, it was there. You didn't read the fine print. There's a cost. Jesus made the cost clear. I want to make it clear to us today that there's a cost to following Jesus. In Matthew 16, he said it clearly. He said this, look, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Read the fine print, my friends. It's not fine print, actually. It's pretty bold. The cross is pretty bold. You want to come after me? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, this is where we need to stop a little bit and be honest and say this is what more people get stuck on. It sounds really good to follow Jesus. It sounds really great to go to heaven. But in order to go to heaven, you have to die. But no one wants to die. But everybody wants to go to heaven. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because it sounds amazing. Oh my God, he loves me. There's no shadow, he won't light up. Mountain, he won't light up. Coming after me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to come after you. Are you willing to come after me? Are you willing to deny yourself? Take up your cross and follow me. I want to make some things clear today. This is the difference between following Jesus and being religious. Don't get this twisted. He's not just talking. Listen, remember, his main audience is not a secular audience. It's a religious audience. So don't get it twisted, thinking this is the world. No, people in church could know a lot about Jesus, but don't follow Jesus. This is a main religious audience he's speaking to. This is a conscience decision to submit my life to Jesus' authority. The word submission, please write this down, is another word for permission. When I submit, I'm, I'm submitting and I'm giving permission to a mission. Submission means there is a, there's a mission that I'm coming under. And it only happens when I give the permission to happen. No one can make you deny yourself other than yourself. Are you tracking? Permission to say, Jesus, you know better than I do, and I entrust in you to lead my life. When you say, Jesus, you are the Lord, you're saying, Jesus, you're the leader, you're the boss. You know better than I do. And there are times in this journey that there are some things that I want to do, but it goes against your will, and something's got to give. This is the denying of oneself part. I want to make some things clear to us today. Being in church right now does not make you a follower of Jesus if you're not submitted to Jesus. I want to make some things clear. Hearing me preach does not make me your pastor. Are you submitted to the leadership of the house? 
Let's get that clear. There's a lot of rogue Christians right now. Everybody now has a YouTube page. But my question is, when you're listening to someone on YouTube, ask them, do you have a pastor? Do you have a leadership? Are you submitted to somebody? Or are you just a rogue Christian doing your rogue thing and calling it Christianity because Jesus doesn't co-sign that stuff? This is where the good vibes goes out the window. Because Jesus requires obedience. It's obedience that unlocks understanding. Without obedience, there's no understanding. Because God's going to ask you to do things that makes no sense in the natural eye. Are you willing to obey him because he's Lord and he knows better than you? And he knows better than your flesh. This is where killing the flesh comes into play. Because by nature, I am a selfish beast. By nature, I want my will to be done. Notice the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray was, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will be done. Even Jesus had to submit to the will of the Father. He's praying in the garden. He said, God, is there another way? If not, not my will, but let your will be done. Are we willing, my friends, I'm going to say some things here. Are we willing to forsake being right so we can be righteous? Because that's what denying yourself means. Pride wants to be right all the time. I want to be right all the time. Am I willing to crucify that in me so that Christ can live in me. You guys are too quiet on me because we're telling the truth this morning. Let me say one more thing. I want to make some things clear today. Saying a prayer at the end of service does not make you a follower of Jesus if that prayer doesn't have obedience attached to it. It's just wishful thinking. My whole life must be submitted to Jesus if I'm going to see his will being done in my life. That means my time is submitted to Jesus. My talent is submitted to Jesus. My money is submitted to Jesus. Because Jesus said you can't serve two gods. You will either love God or love me. You got to pick one. My relationships are submitted to Jesus. My sexuality is submitted to Jesus. All of me is submitted to Jesus. Why? Because I believe that he knows what's best for me, even when I don't see it. So the test of discipleship is this. Is it my will or is it God's will? C.S. Lewis says in the end, there's going to be two types of people. Those who will say, who God will say, your will be done. Or those who, whom God will, they'll say to God, your will be done. You got to have to pick one. I'm telling you, this is where the good vibes goes out the window. Some people have thought that Jesus comes to just give you good vibes. There is good vibes. But it usually comes with obedience. Do I want to be right or do I want to be righteous? Now here is the catch. The paradox in all of this is this. Notice, he said, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's the paradox. Freedom is found in the daily surrender of our lives to him. You find real life when you are willing to lose it to really attain it. Jim Elliott, one of the great missionaries who died sharing the gospel, he said this. He said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep, the gain that which he can never lose. He died giving his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the cross that Jesus talks about. Embracing suffering is part of this journey. I want to make some things clear. There is no way around suffering in this world. There's no utopia in this world. We are behind enemy lines. So suffering 
is part of discipleship. But suffering is the tool that God uses to mold us, to shape us, to make us in his image and likeness. You, I don't trust people who don't have scars. Even Jesus kept his scars to remind us, hey, it's through suffering that you get the resurrection. So that's part of life. It's not Jesus, I'm giving you my life so everything can be roses. No, I'm giving you my life and I've got to be willing to take up my cross and to follow you. And whatever that leads, there are no shortcuts. By the way, all of these first students, all of them paid with their lives. Every single one of them. Not one of them was spared. But they love Jesus too much to compromise following him. And Jesus said the reward is great for those who will go all the way. Can you say amen? So my friends, the goal is to be like Jesus. It's to live in full obedience to the Father. Then it leads to the last part, to fishing for people. Come. Follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people. Notice this. This is so important. We're going to talk about work next week. But notice that he, he took what they did for a living and said, hey, I'm going to give you a greater calling in what you do for a living. He didn't ask him to stop fishing. He says, no, I'm going to give you a greater calling in fishing. So this is what I'm trying to say. Not all of us are called to be in full-time ministry, but all of us are called to be full-time Christians, exactly where we are. God wants to use you exactly where you are. Some eventually will go full time, but it starts exactly where you are to fish for people, to bring more people into the fold of following Jesus, of living for Jesus. That is the ultimate, hopefully, I believe, that's the ultimate calling in all of our lives as believers. So like, how many more people am I bringing into the fold to know Jesus? And Jesus wants to use me exactly where I am. So I'll talk about this next week. If you keep wishing you were somewhere else, you're missing God exactly where you are. And if he wants you to be somewhere else, he will move you somewhere else. He's God. But let me, let me wrap this up by, by showing you Matthew, right? Matthew, the guy who wrote what, we, what we've, been, we've been studying this morning. When he got called to Jesus, Matthew instantly understood that, oh, he's calling me that I may call others. Watch this, right away, right? Look, Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth doing his IRS thing. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew, like the other ones, got up and followed him. Later, watch this, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along, watch this, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. You know what the word disreputable means? Shady. Matthew was like, yo, Jesus has called me. I got to throw a party. My friends need to come and hear about this Jesus who have called me into his fold. My friends, I'm telling you, a big sign that if you're following Jesus or you're just being religious is who's around you? Like sometimes I hear Christians say things that I'm like, you have no idea how far that puts you from the mission. When people say, all my friends are Christians. Well, your circle is too small. Because here's, here's what happens to religion. Watch this. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. Watch this. Keep going. But when the Pharisees, the religious denomination of Jesus' time, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Can we please untangle religion from Jesus? People with God's heart will never call other people scum. Ah, this burns me up. People, so-called follower of Jesus, 
will label people when Jesus is trying to reach people. I'm going to say something. It's going to sound really blunt. But if you come here and your heart is not to see more people come to know Jesus, please find another church where they just talk about how holy you are, how great you are. Please. 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 Do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Go find a church where it's all about you and all about religion. It's all about who's holy and who's more right, how the world's going to hell, because we want to reach the world from not going to hell. We want to be the people that bring the gospel to people. Please, do me a favor. I don't want to waste my energy on people who think they're better than others. Look at this. Such scum. These are the people who spend their time telling you who's saved, who's not saved, who's holy, who's not holy. What worship songs should you listen to? Because this one is evil, and this one is this, this one is that. In the meantime, the whole world is going to hell. It's a waste of time, waste of energy. But look what Jesus does. I pray we are Jesus people. When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, watch this, this is the heart of Jesus. Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's the difference between Jesus and religion. He says, man, I, I came for those people. I made a point to not pick the best of the best right from the beginning. I'm trying to make a point that I'm here for all people. It doesn't mean that, that I compromise sin. No, no, Jesus never sinned. People get this twisted. Because we want to be a church for the unchurched, does not mean we're watering down the gospel. No, we want to be Jesus gospel friendly where people can come and know him. Don't get it twisted. We don't believe in sinning. But I'll do anything outside of sinning to reach one more soul for Jesus because the whole heaven rejoices when one more sinner comes to Jesus. Scum, can you believe it? I'm going to say this. this. This messed me up when I was writing the book. The, the, the toughest chapter to write was the, right, the, the chapter on Jesus versus self-righteousness. Because all of us are self-righteous to a certain degree. Especially when you've been walking with Jesus for a little bit, it's easier to become self-righteous and lose heart for people. And we have to constantly ask God, are we, are we reflecting you? And one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, God, are people who are far from you attracted to me or they feel repelled by me? If the sinners of the world feel repelled by us, we got work to do. Because I don't know about you, I want to be associated with people that Jesus would associate with. It doesn't mean I'm doing what they're doing. I'm trying to bring them to where I am. I pray we, we take Jesus seriously and say, am I reflecting his heart? When was the last time you had a conversation with someone you didn't agree with? An actual conversation, not bash them. Not throw Bible verses at them, but actually love them. Jesus had no problem being right in the middle of the mess because he knew, I'm so good at turning messes into messages. That's what he does. Because the ultimate test, my friends, if you're following Jesus, is are you, do you have a desire to see others follow him? That's the ultimate test. God's not going to ask you how holy you were, how righteous you were, or how amazing you were, how you told everybody, oh, they were wrong. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> By the way, when all these righteous people are going to have to stand before the righteous one and go, hey, wasn't it awesome when I told that guy off and when I told this guy off and I told them, oh, they were wrong, how they were preaching the wrong gospel? And Jesus is like, what gospel? The one that sits with sinners? The gospel that reaches the scums of the earth? Is that the gospel we're talking about? Because the religious people of Jesus' time missed the gospel because they were too holy 
to reach people. It's amazing to me, Jesus calls it fishing. And I'm going long, but I had a vacation, so I have a lot to say. <laughs> Call it fishing for people. I don't know the last time you went fishing, but fishing takes a lot of patience. I don't even go fishing because I don't have the patience. <laughs> but I am called to be a Christian, and I need to have a lot of patience with people. There's a part of me that who wants to, there's that ghetto kid in me still who has zero patience. Sometimes I want to be angry Luther up here and, and make some translations. Because sometimes people come at you and you want to be like, yo, Jesus, let me at him. It's there. But I have to deny that part of me to embrace the fishing part of me, to be patient with people because Jesus is patient with me. That's how it's, you know how easy to relate to people when you start to think about how does Jesus treat you? Because that's how I want to treat others. He treats me with a lot of patience. He pursued me. He loved me. He forgives me. He strengthens me. He rebukes me, he corrects me, but with a lot of patience. 42 years old, all I see Jesus is patience. The Bible says he's slow to anger, quick to show mercy. Some people have reversed that. We're quick to be angry, slow to show mercy. My God, we need to repent for not having the heart of Jesus. Because the heart of Jesus is for people. For God so loved people. You and I. The person you don't agree with at work, Jesus loves that person. You think I'm playing when I talked about ISIS? You think Jesus doesn't love them? If he doesn't, then the Bible is not real. When was the last time you prayed for someone who persecuted you? Because persecution in America is what? Tell you something you don't like about you on Facebook? <laughs> Wait until real persecution hits. I think he might be coming. I don't want to speak it. But I pray we want Jesus, truly. I pray we are a community of people, keep a person online and forever. I hope and pray that we're really going after Jesus' heart. I pray we're not building up our little holy castles and be up here and call everybody scum. I pray we are in the mess with people and be patient. Because sometimes you go fishing for hours, you don't catch anything. But when you do catch one, how awesome is it when you catch that one? That's why the Bible says the whole heaven rejoices when one, just one turns to Jesus. And I believe today many will turn to Jesus. So there will be a block body in heaven because Jesus is still in the business of saving people. Come on, stand with me as we pray this morning. Are you following Jesus? He says, come. Come follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people. Come learn how I do it. Embrace my calling. And you will fish for people. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Would you make this personal, internalize it this morning? Online, in forever? Would you ask Jesus to come into your life? Would you embrace his invitation today? I don't care if you've been saved before. Ask him to give you a fresh touch of his presence. Ask him to call you all over again. He said, come. Come, come. Maybe you feel like the scum of the earth. Jesus says, come. Maybe you feel you're not worthy. Jesus says, come. Maybe some religious people have judged you, condemned you. 
Jesus says, come. Come, and I will, I will transform you. Like I transformed the first students. And positioned them to change the world. These amazing students changed the world. And I believe today the Holy Spirit is here to fill us so we can change the world. So, Father, we come as we are. And we ask, Holy Spirit, give us the strength to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, and to follow you. Oh, I pray, Lord, that we come and we learn from you and we become fishers of men, pointing to more people so that more people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us untangle Jesus from religion so that there's more life in us and that we bring it with us to our neighborhoods, to our workplace, wherever we find ourselves, we want to bring Jesus with us. And if you're here today online, you've never trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, remember, it's not just a prayer, it's a commitment that you're making to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to be yours. And if that's you today, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I know you died for me, and you love me, you have a plan for me. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, make me new. I want to follow you. Make me a fisher of people. I pray your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.